0: please turn your Bibles to Hosea chapter 5. Hosea chapter 5, I believe it can be found on page 753 in the Bibles under your seats. And as always, you're welcome to turn on your screen and I'll just see that glow from your face, from your scriptures. Hosea chapter 5. If you are visiting with us today or you haven't been with us for several weeks and you're showing up here going, you're studying Hosea, it doesn't sound very exciting, but it is. It's very exciting, but it's also very different. It's not something we typically study. That's something maybe we typically read. And you may show up in the middle of a study on the book of Hosea and go, what is going on here? So before we read Hosea chapter 5, I'd like to tell you a little bit about what's going on here, uh, and even define a few terms for you. That way, when we're reading the scriptures, you know what to look for and what we're looking at. So where are we? Well, Hosea was written by the prophet Hosea, this account of his prophecy, him foretelling what would happen, but also foretelling, preaching God's word to a sinful nation, Israel. So he was a prophet who dwelled in the southern part of the nation, in Judah, and he was preaching and prophesying to the northern uh, portion of of the nation, and the Israelites were wicked. They were sinful. They were doing bad things. They were not loving the Lord their God with all of their, their hearts and all of their soul and all their minds. They were giving some lip service to God. They were saying, yes, Yahweh, we, we love you. Look, we took our sacrifices to the temple, but As God's word says over and over, their hearts were far from him. And so because of their sin, because of their disobedience, Yahweh must punish them. He must discipline them, much like we do as parents when we're trying to correct our children. But why does he do this? Well, we've seen over and over that Yahweh God does this because he loves his people. He cares for them. He doesn't want them to go run out in the street and get run over by a car. And so he loves them. He doesn't want them to be destroyed by their sin and their wickedness. And so he comes to them really much like a father, loving and sometimes tender and sometimes stern. And so as we read Hosea chapter 5, you'll see a bunch of cities and a bunch of places and towns named. And you'll go, where are those? Well, we're not going to throw the big ancient Israelite map up here on the wall, but maybe that would be helpful. But when we read these towns and these cities and these places, I want you to think of them as somewhat like spiritual markers or spiritual destinations. And the reason that God's word refers to these places oftentimes is to remind the people that sometimes they were places of blessing. This is where God poured out his blessing upon his people in this place. But in other times, they were places of cursing. There were places of sin and disobedience. They were, they were harmful places, and so God wants to remind them of those as well. You'll also see the name mentioned here many times, Ephraim or Ephraim. You'll see that tribe of Israel referred to many times. You'll actually see that referred to hundreds of times in the Old Testament. And so what you're to think of when you see that name in your Bible is Israel. Ephraim was the largest tribe in the northern uh, part of the nation, Israel. And so oftentimes God's word will simply just refer to Israel as Ephraim, talking about the largest tribe. So that's, that's what that name means. You'll also see some words here that I certainly don't love to read and talk about, but they're in God's word, the words whore and whoredom and whoring or prostitution. But when you read these words, when we see these words, I want you to simply think of this. These words mean that God's people were being unfaithful. Children, that's what you're to think of when you see those words. They were being unfaithful. They weren't listening to God. They weren't obeying God. They weren't loving him and trusting him the way they should. And so that's what those words mean in our text. So, Hosea chapter 5. This is God's holy Inerrant and authoritative word to us this morning. Hear this, O priest. Pay attention, O house of Israel. Give ear, O house of the king. For the judgment is for you. For you have been a snare at Mizpah, and a net spread over Tabor. And the revolters have gone deep into slaughter. And I will discipline all of them. I know Ephraim, and Israel is not hidden from me. For now, O Ephraim, you have played the whore. Israel is defiled. Their deeds do not permit them to return to their God, for the spirit of whoredom is within them, and they know not the Lord. The pride of Israel testifies to his face. Israel and Ephraim shall stumble in his guilt. Judah also shall stumble with them. With their flocks and herds, they shall go to seek the Lord, but they will not find him. He has withdrawn from them. They have dealt faithlessly with the Lord, for they have borne alien children. Now the new moon shall devour them with their fields. Blow the horn in Gibeah, the trumpet in Ramah, sound the alarm at Bethhaven. We follow you, O Benjamin. Ephraim shall become a desolation in the day of punishment. Among the tribes of Israel, I make known what is sure. The princes of Judah have become like those who have moved the landmark. Upon them I will pour out my wrath like water. Ephraim is oppressed, crushed in judgment, because he was determined to go after filth. I am like a moth to Ephraim. And like dry rot to the house of Judah. When Ephraim saw his sickness and Judah his wound, then Ephraim went to Assyria and sent to the great king. But he is not able to cure you or heal your wound. For I will be like a lion to Ephraim and like a young lion to the house of Judah. I, even I, will tear and go away. I will carry off and no one shall rescue I will return again to my place until they acknowledge their guilt and seek my face and in their distress earnestly seek me. Let's pray. Father, again, we come to a portion of your word that is not easily understood and not even in places and things that are not easily recognizable to us. But Father, help us to to understand, give us your spirit to spiritually discern what your word has to teach us this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Hosea chapter 5 is further pronouncement, further uh, notification of God's impending judgment upon the nation of Israel because they were guilty, they were idolatrous, they were wayward, they were unfaithful and sinful people. In this Hosea chapter 5, this chapter comes to us in the first person. This is Yahweh God speaking to his people as a judge because he's not pleased with his people. He's not encouraged by their actions. And so he states, hear this judgment, O Israel. And this is a judgment, this is a warning to the church as well, so we all need to hear this. He says at the end of verse 1 or end of verse 2, I'm going to discipline you. I'm not going to let you run out into the street and get run over by a car. (laughs) I'm not going to let your sin come crashing over you. I'm going to discipline you. And so these words, these words of judgment here in Hosea chapter 5, I want you to think about this. They're not spoken to us from an enemy. These words are not spoken to us from Satan. These words are not from a divine policeman in the sky going, I'm watching you. You go one mile over the speed limit. I'm going to get you. No, these words of judgment are from a loving God who is jealous for his people's hearts, and he desires to draw them back to himself. So that is the God we are looking at here. Our, our sinful minds, though, our, our finite minds that can't fully comprehend God, our, our wicked hearts oftentimes think, why does God have to discipline his people? Why? Why can't he just make them do what he wants? Why can't God just love his people and tenderly care for them all the time? I, I love those passages in the Bible. Why can't God be like that all the time? Well, the truth is, He does love them. He does care for his people. He he loves them so much that he's not going to let them be ruined. He's not going to let them perish in their sin and misery. Instead, he's going to woo them back to himself. He's going to discipline them in such a way that they will earnestly seek him that they will earnestly repent from their sin, that they will earnestly and truly be sorry and come back to the Lord their God. As we read in our confession time this morning, God is holy. He is light. And in him is no darkness at all. In God, there's there's no sin. There's no wickedness at all in God. So he's, he's going to act according to his character. Here is a good example of that in Numbers chapter 14, verse 18. The Lord is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generations. This Formula, this language is repeated well over five to ten times in the Old Testament, describing what God is like. Yes, he's a loving God. Yes, he's a merciful God. But he will by no means hide his face from sin. Yahweh declares, this is who he is. He is holy, he is light, and in him is no darkness at all. And so in his love, he must deal with sin. And so Hosea chapter 5 it's about the way in which the Lord draws people to himself according to his character. And in drawing sinners to himself, his whole goal, his whole goal in this is to draw sinners away from themselves and to get them to repent of their sin and to love them with all, and for, him, for them to love him with all their heart all their soul, all their mind and strength. That is God's love. So how is a loving and holy God going to do that? How is he going to draw sinners back to himself? I want us to look at four ways in this chapter. The first thing that God is going to do to draw sinners to himself is by disciplining them. And we've looked at that theme several times already, haven't we? God's loving discipline toward his people, and that's what we see there in verses 1 and 2. God's discipline of Israel extends to the priests. Hear this, you religious leaders, you pastors, you elders, you deacons, all of you listen. And then he says, he addresses the king, and and king, you know, Mr. President, whoever, you're not escaping from this either. And, And indeed, the whole nation hear this judgment. And so we see two of those places listed again, Mizpah and Tabor. Instead of these places being places of blessing, instead of these being places of worship and encouragement for God's people, they had become places of sin. And the people insisted on practicing idolatrous worship in these places. And so instead of these places, these cities, these towns being Places of encouragement, places to build up God's people in the one truth faith. Hosea's chapter 5 says they became a snare. They were trapping people in their sin, snaring them. And so not only were they engaging in sin, But in these places, they were ensnaring other people in sin and encouraging other people to sin. And therefore, God was going to discipline them. And as we've said before, the the goal of God's discipline is to bring about change in people's hearts. Yahweh's desire is that his people come to him and confess their sin and seek him. But, But unfortunately, when God does this, it is oftentimes through suffering. Oftentimes when God begins to discipline us, we begin to feel the pain of our sin. And God does this, though, so that he will bring his people to seek him earnestly. And so going forward, we're going to read here in Hosea chapter 5, the people are going to feel the harsh effects of their sin. Yahweh God cannot and does not overlook sin. He does not hide his face from sin. And so he will discipline those he loves. That's one way he draws sinners back to himself is through discipline. But secondly, God draws sinners to himself by declaring his omniscience. He draws sinners to himself by declaring his omniscience. What does that big word mean? It means simply this. God knows everything. He knows everything. We're going to talk about that here. The people of Hosea's day, they were foolish enough to think that they could somehow escape Yahweh God's all-seeing eye. They thought that only when they went to the temple, or when they went to church, or or when they did religious things, that was the only time that Yahweh God was was watching them. The other times, they could simply just hide from him. That's what they they thought. And so far down the path of sin, so far down the path of sin and misery, the people had gone, that they had forgotten Yahweh. They'd forgotten his laws and his commands. And they had apparently, forgotten, they'd apparently had forgotten basic, fundamental theology. Now you hear that word thrown out a lot, theology. I mean, it means the study of God. When we talk about theology, we're talking about God. And so the sinful people had forgotten their basic theology. They'd forgotten about God. They had forgotten the basics that are taught the children's catechism. All right, I need the children to help me for a minute here. Can I, can I get some children to help me? You don't have to stand up and scream it out, but maybe you can help me with some of these answers. What is God? God is the Spirit. And I heard somebody say, he doesn't have a body like man. <laughs> God is a Spirit. Okay, what else? Does anybody know where is God? He's everywhere. Thank you. Can you see God? No. I cannot see God, but he he always sees me. Does God know all things? Yes. Nothing can be. That is right. Nothing can be hidden from God. Can God do all things? Yes, God can do all his, that is right. Yes, children, thank you. Woo, we're doing good here. All right, right, easy, that's a lot of clapping for Presbyterians, okay. (laughs) This is who God is, right? Even children know this. He knows all things. He sees all things. He knows all his holy will. Nothing can be hidden from God. And they forgot that. They forgot that the Lord has perfect knowledge of all things. This is who he is. And this lesson to Israel is a a basic lesson to all of us, right? God knows everything. Nothing can be hidden from God. He, He knows all our deeds. You cannot get away with sin. You cannot hide from God. He sees it all. The writer of Hebrews says, And no creature is hidden from God's sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. He's a sovereign, holy, omniscient God. In his omniscience, it, it should frighten us a little bit. It should worry us a little bit. It should keep us in check. It's an absolute terror to the ungodly who do not know God. But to those who do know God, he knows all things. And for the believer, this can be a great comfort because God, knowing all things, he's going to expose our sins. He's going to convict us and show us our guilt and bring us to himself. So sinner, know this, God knows, he sees, nothing can be hidden from God. And knowing this, knowing this is one of the ways that God draws sinners to himself. A third way that God draws sinners to himself is by withdrawing his presence. Look there with me in verses 5, 6, and 7. Israel had pride. They were stumbling in their guilt. They would go to him with their flocks and herds. That means their sacrifices. They would go to, here, Lord, I'm coming. I'm bringing my sacrifices. But they would not find him. Why would they not find him? Verse 6. He has withdrawn from them. The pride of Israel. And their empty worship was going to cause God to do something unthinkable. And it's definitely unthinkable to us. He was going to withdraw from them. And so the people were insistent on their sin. They were breaking his commandments. They were breaking the covenant. They were abandoning loyalty to Yahweh God. They were doing this by their licentiousness, just doing whatever they wanted. They were being syncretistic, they were degenerate, they were immoral in all kinds of ways. And so God was going to allow them to stumble in their guilt. And then ultimately, he was going to withdraw his presence from them. And so I said this a few weeks back, syncretism. Syncretism is mixing and mingling two different religions together. Israel was giving lip service to Yahweh God, but at the same time, they had their little bell statues set up at home, Baal statues, and they were bowing down and worshiping them. And they were also, even furthermore, practicing, and we won't go into this in the sermon, but they were practicing cult prostitution at the same time trying to worship Yahweh God. Israel was absolutely guilty and sinful. Not only were they deep in their sin, but they were approving and encouraging others to sin. So what's the application here? We can become so lost in our sin. We can become so lost in our sinful tendencies that being reconciled to God can be very difficult. The grip of sin can, can paralyze us. We can be so sinful and and so bad that we forget what it means to even know God and and live a righteous life. And oftentimes God pulls back. Look in verse 15, the last verse. God explains the way forward. He says, I will return again to my place. In other words, I'm going to withdraw back. I'm not going to be in and amongst you anymore. I'm going to do this until they acknowledge their guilt and seek my face and in their distress earnestly seek me. Until the people confess their sin and earnestly, not half-heartedly, not kind of, but earnestly seek Yahweh's face, he will return to his place. He will pull back his presence so that they will know So that we will know how painful, how miserable, how awful it is not to have the presence of Yahweh in their midst. I mean, could you imagine? Could you imagine being Israel, having the temple, or having the tabernacle? And every day you could visibly see, and and even times audibly, the, the, the Shekinah glory of God, the glory cloud appearing over that tent. And then one day wake up and it's just gone. God, He removed his presence from their midst. And so living in depravity, living in sin, it changes us. Instead of being holy and happy, we become sinful and miserable. And one of the evidences of this misery that we find ourselves in is God withdrawing his presence from us. Do you feel that way now? Do you feel like God is distant from you and you don't feel his presence? If this is the case, if this is how you feel right now, don't dig in further and further into your sin and misery. Heed God's instructions right now from his word. Acknowledge your guilt. Confess your sin and seek his face. How, though? Pastor, tell me how. How do we do this? Let me offer some encouragement here to you from a Puritan from hundreds of years ago, Richard Sibbs. He tells us how. Listen to this. Cast yourself into the arms of Christ and if you perish... Perish there. If you do not, you are sure to perish. If mercy is to be found anywhere, it is there. How do we do it? We cast ourselves into the arms of Christ because that is where mercy, that is where love, that is where grace, that is where God's presence is. Seek God's face by going to the cross and confessing your sin. 1 John 1 says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We go to the cross, we confess our sins. For those of you who are struggling right now, for those of you who are struggling to know and to sense the presence of God in your life right now, know this truth from the life of our Savior. Just as God the Father did not abandon the Lord Jesus Christ ultimately on the cross, but was there to sustain and to support him and to raise him from the dead and the newness of life so that he always lives to intercede for us so that he is always with us. Christ is never nearer to us in power to uphold us than when he seems to hide his presence from us. Again, that's Richard Sibbs. He's never nearer to us when he seems to withdraw his presence from us. He is doing it not because he hates you. He is doing it because he loves you and he's trying to draw you back to himself. God's mercy, God's grace, God's love is even with us when he withdraws his presence from us because he's striving to bring us to acknowledge our our sin and our need for his righteousness. If you feel like God has withdrawn his presence from you, he hasn't gone away, I promise you, He's calling you to earnestly seek his face. The last way we see in this chapter that God draws sinners to himself is by being like a moth and a lion. A moth, you know. What did you study at church today? God is like a moth. Let me me talk about that here for a minute. What, what What does God do to get his wayward people to return to them? How does he draw sinners to himself? Well, God's judgment is described here in Hosea chapter 5 using two similes. Remember from your grammar, a simile is a comparison between two things using like or as. Did I get that right, teachers? Yes, thank you. God is like a moth, and he's like a lion. He will be like a moth, it says in verse 12. But I am like a moth to Ephraim, and like dry rot to the house of Judah. Moths do two things. They, number one, are completely annoying and distracting. I mean, are we the only ones that get moths all in our house? We are. Okay, okay, good. Thank you. Amen. (laughs) They are, they're annoying. They're, they're distracting. And they also can destroy things, right? They eat your clothes or whatever they do. I still have that mothball smell in my nose from my grandparents' attic. (laughs) God is like a moth. He he gets in our path of disobedience to keep us from sinning, to distract us, to turn our attention back to him and to get our attention away from from our idols. He's also like a moth or like rot and that he will destroy, he will cause things to rot and decay, things that are precious to us but are wrong for us, all these things he will He will destroy our idols. He will cause them to rot in our hands so that we will see that they are worthless. The idols that you hold dear in your life, God wants to draw your attention away from them. And furthermore, he wants to wither and rot them in your hands. This is often a painful process when God causes your idols to fail and to be destroyed and rot before your very eyes. It hurts, but it is a good thing. But God will also be like a lion, verse 14. For I will be like a lion to Ephraim, and like a young lion to the house of Judah. I, even I, will tear and go away. I will carry off, and no one shall rescue. If we ignore God's moth-like warnings in our lives, then he will come to us like a lion. And this is much more terrible. This is much more ferocious the ferocious attack of the lion of Judah will come from nowhere and it will grip us with fear, because he will tear us away from what we hold dear and carry us, carry us off like a lion with his kill. All the liberal folks were real upset about that lion that 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 dentist killed over in Africa, and all the Africans were like, "Thank you, God! This lion was killing our children and our people and carrying them off. You did us a favor." because lions are ferocious. They're kind of scary. The idea of God being like a lion is, is terrifying. It's not exactly a warm picture for us. But C.S. Lewis, in his great work, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, describes for us Aslan, who is a lion, and what a what the purpose of Aslan being a lion is. Listen to this scene here from the children being in the hut with the beavers and hearing about aslan for the first time the beavers declare that aslan is a lion the lion the great lion Ooh, said susan i thought he was a man is he quite safe i shall feel rather nervous about being a lion safe said mr beaver Don't you hear what Miss Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. That is the Lion of Judah. That is what the Lord will be like. He is not safe. But he's good. And the Lord coming to us like a ferocious lion is to draw us to himself and to keep us from dying in our sin and misery. God wants your heart. And so he comes to us at times like a moth to distract us, to rot away our idols. And oftentimes if that doesn't work, he comes to us as a lion because he wants to tear away the idols. He wants to carry them off from your life. He wants to rescue So that's how God draws sinners to himself. The bottom line here in Hosea 5 and really the whole book, Israel was unfaithful to Yahweh. Their spiritual adultery had spread to every area of life. They rejected knowledge of God. They they were prideful. They forgot Yahweh. And even worse, they worshiped idols and they spurned God's love. Yet, yet. God, in his mercy and his grace, he withdraws his presence so that they would be utterly humiliated and lost without him, so that they would find no comfort and satisfaction in their idols. And he does this so that they will return to him, so they will repent of their sin and seek his face and worship him. Maybe you have determined this morning that you are like sinful Israel. And you are determined, like the sinful people here, to go after filth. That's what he says there in verse 11. And in verse 5, your pride is keeping you from Christ. Or even worse, you are simply mixing Christianity with all the idols in your life. When you are at this point, one thing and one thing only is needed, and that is Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, in your distress, in your hurt, in your pain, in your guilt, and in your sin, run to Christ. Run away from your sin and run to Christ. Seek his face. Let's pray. Father, we're reminded again of that hymn we sang last week, that the dust that we gather around us, the, the filth that we try to hang on to, the idols in our lives, the things that keep us and distract us from you, they don't satisfy us. Lord, please expose our idols, expose our guilt and our sin. Lord, show us where we have not loved you with all of our heart, all of our soul, and all of our mind. Lord, show us where we are guilty. But Father, don't leave us there. Give us your spirit. Please help us to seek your face and to run to Christ. We thank you that Jesus doesn't just say, come to me by yourself. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened and heavy laden. And I will give you rest. I will, I will throw you upon my shoulders and, and I will carry you into my Father's arms. And so, Lord, help us to run to Christ, to seek his face. We pray in his name. Amen.